think there's a sophistication to the audience of podcast listeners. They've got, they're taking the time to listen, they're thoughtful, they want to know. They're actually generous. They're giving you their time. It's quite remarkable. And if we'd had a beautiful sounding podcast that was slick and it was it was just boring, I think the listeners would have just tuned out. So I do think that if you've got a great story to tell and you can tell it in a compelling way, start there. Hi. I'm Ben Hart and welcome to Storycraft, a podcast about the art and science of storytelling. I've been in the business of telling stories for more than two decades. As a journalist, communications advisor and now heading up my own storytelling-led comms agency, Fireside. In this work, I've always been fascinated by great stories. Why did they work? What made them resonate and connect with people? In this first six-episode season of Storycraft, You'll hear from all sorts of storytellers who will share what they've learned about making stories that simply work. So whether you're in the story business, think storytelling might make you better at what you do, or you just love a good yarn, I promise you'll take something away from these conversations. When we think of storytelling innovators, judges and courts of law are not the first entities that spring to mind. To most people, they are there to dispense justice to decide if the bad guys get put away and the wrongly accused are allowed to go free. So how could it be that one of the most interesting, creative and compelling podcasts of recent times was made by the austere 169-year-old Supreme Court of Victoria? Called Gertie's Law, the podcast takes listeners behind the scenes at the court, providing unprecedented access to judges and the issues they navigate every day. With two seasons under its belt, Gertie's Law has been downloaded 350,000 times. Last year, it won a gold medal at New York Festival's Radio Awards and has been hailed as better than Serial, the granddaddy of all true crime podcasts. What led a court of law to create audio storytelling that is so good and so accessible? And just as importantly, why did they decide to tell their story in this way using this medium? For years, the Victorian Supreme Court had a problem. People didn't understand how it made decisions. The court was a place brimming with incredible behind-the-scenes stories, but it didn't tell them. But in October 2017, that started to change when Supreme Court Judge Anne Ferguson was appointed Chief Justice. In her welcome address, the new Chief Justice promised to look for new and emerging ways to communicate. As a fan of Talking Tigers, the Richmond Football Club's podcast, Chief Justice Ferguson thought a podcast just might work. So she turned to former star court reporter Sarah Dolan, who knew a lot about stories in the court, but as it turned out, nothing about podcasts. Sarah is the Director of Communications and Engagement at the Supreme Court. She came to the job after listening to the Chief Justice's welcome address one fateful day in 2017. Sarah liked what she heard and wanted in. But she never anticipated that less than a year later, she would be leading the charge on one of the most successful podcasts ever made by a public sector entity in Australia. Sarah's career began in the courts in the 1990s as a court reporter for the Herald Sun. After two years at Who Weekly, she moved into government communications, later becoming a speechwriter and media manager for two Victorian premiers, then moved to other public sector communications roles. And that's what she was doing in November 2017 when she saw a video of the incoming Chief Justice, Anne Ferguson. 
I was actually uh, the former executive director of communications at the Department of Education and Training at the time. And I was home and for whatever reason, I decided to watch that video. I'm always interested in public sector jobs and who's doing what. And um, I saw that there was a role advertised. So I went on the website, decided to watch this actual speech and I saw her on a talking. And in that moment, I actually had one of those moments where I just said, I want to work for her. While the result that we reach might be obvious from our decisions, I'm not sure that why we've reached the result is always as clear. In serving the community as Chief Justice, I will treat it as part of my responsibility to do everything that I can to make sure that what judges do, how we do it, and why we make the decisions that we do is easily understood by all people. So I put in an application, threw my hat in the ring, and to my surprise, I got the job. And I started at the court uh, about four months later. So one of the first tasks the Chief Justice gave you was to make a podcast. Tell us what happened next. Yes. Look, she'd been thinking about all this sort of stuff. She's kind of, she's quite modern. She's very progressive in this space. And she doesn't just think, what can she do in chambers or in a courtroom? She thinks, how can we better reach and um, serve and the community and help them to understand what we do? So she asked me to come in and see her. And she said that she said she wanted to commission a podcast. And I said, oh, that's a very good idea. And she said, so can you go and look into that? And I said, yes, absolutely. I'm completely all over it. And I went back to my desk and I opened up Google and I typed in what is a podcast <laughs> and I had absolutely no idea I don't I didn't listen to them and I'm sorry your audience is probably gonna um, I hope they please forgive me when I say that I do now I'm absolutely do now I had no idea to be honest how great these things were how accessible it was how shareable it was when I realized that she meant podcast I actually then thought how are we going to do that because that was going to involve people speaking and judges don't speak. We don't do recorded interviews. So we had to start with the very first challenge, which is if we want to make a podcast, who are we going to talk to and what are they going to say? So how'd you go about giving this podcast idea a focus and a structure? Well, it never really altered in my mind. The chief was so clear when she talked her welcoming speech, when she said that she thought there was more that could be done to help people understand the reasons why judges made the decisions they do. I have started there. In fact, it underpins pretty much everything that I do at the court. And we never deviated from it. So it would have been tempting and easy to make a, something around crime or true crime. We could have done a podcast where we had people talking around the court. So have lots of people commenting, but that's already been done. I felt it was extremely important to actually have the voices of the court, to have judges try and explain really why they made the decisions that they do because not all judges are sentencing judges they're not criminal judges they make decisions about commercial matters and civil matters so I basically put a business case together I wrote it up literally on a word doc over a couple of pages and I actually thought it was probably going to be really boring I actually thought this will be just something that maybe the court staff we can maybe get it played like in the internal news and a few lawyers might might think it was cool. I, I actually have been absolutely stunned that people even listened to it, to be quite frank, because I I was so adamant, and um, I can talk more about this in a minute, to never stray from that one particular objective, particularly when I was really agitating to get content in there about the commercial court, which we know is not something people sit around the dinner table and talk about. I thought, look, if we get a couple of listeners to this, that would be awesome, and maybe my dad will download it. That will be fantastic. 
So let's just break this down for a moment. If you've ever worked in government comms, you'll appreciate just how hard it can be to take the initiative and tell your own organisational story. Approvals are more fiddly, bureaucrats more risk-averse. Every word, every sentence is often mulled over for fear of getting it wrong. Well, imagine doing this inside the Supreme Court of Victoria, a place that's never been comfortable speaking to the public, let alone talking about itself. Sarah says mapping out Gertie's law, the interview, the scripts, everything, was crucial to give the court confidence it could tell its own story. Look, it wasn't it wasn't a walk in the park and there was an awful lot of thinking around it. So if I can just go back and just unravel that a little step. So one of the first things that we did is spend months and months and months on a whiteboard with sticky notes, looking at all the things we could talk about. And you had to be very clear about what we thought those episodes were going to look like. So before we even got to governance, we had to have a bit of an idea of what is it we're going to be talking about. The first episode was actually the court itself. Really, once we had started to set that out, the first of the interviews started to get done. Episodes were scripted. The scripts were then sent to me. The scripts from me, there were a couple of other internal steps. The scripts then went to the Chief Justice and a couple of judges, and then they came back for revision. Scripts were sent to the principal judges if their judge had been interviewed. We actually sent scripts to our external participants as well. We came at this with total transparency. We had full, everyone involved in the podcast had full veto over it. So because people had full veto and if they decided to change their mind or pull something out, we were curating this product. It did build trust. While Sarah and her two producers, Greg Muller and Evan Martin, planned and strategised Gertie's Law down to the last second, some of the central characters in the series, the judges, were reluctant to participate. Well, I came on board in February 2018 and we actually didn't launch Gertie One until 2019, a year later. And Greg and Evan, I couldn't get them aboard until September of 20, I think it was 2018. I really spent the first seven months of my entire job going and speaking to all of the judges just to let them know who I was. It wasn't just about the podcast. It was, you know, I was new. There was a bit of a new approach to communications within the court. I did ask all of the judges what they thought of podcasts and what they thought about having that external focus. And, and some of them were just completely on board and others were said, you know, good luck, <laughs> let us know how it goes. I didn't set out to actually get everybody on board. I came out of those conversations with about a handful of judges who were keen. And we started with the handful of judges who were keen. After that started to go quite well, we had a couple more who had been sitting on the sidelines and they got involved, but there will always be judges who've just made the decisions that they're happy to listen to, but they weren't going to be involved. That was really where we started. The other thing that we were very lucky about and if comms managers and others who are listening out there is I would say two things. One, we did have the backing of the Chief Justice. This was actually something that had been commissioned by the head of the organisation. So we were fortunate. We were quite lucky. But the other thing I would say to people is that if you've got an idea like this and you're thinking about doing it, you might not be able to get your head of organisation, but you probably do need your sponsor, if you like, or your backer. You've got to have someone in your corner and you've got to have a very, very, very clear idea about what you want to achieve. So let's talk about the series producers, Greg and Evan. They really guide us through the courts throughout the podcast. How did they come to be such an integral part of what people hear in the podcast? Look, for all those listening, when I said what is a podcast, I really meant it. And so one of the first things I thought is I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to make this. 
So one of the reasons that I think it's been fantastically successful is because we bought on two people who did. We bought on uh, Greg Muller, who is a former journalist, and we bought on Evan Martin, who was a filmmaker. Greg had actually been involved in podcasts and Evan hadn't, but he had a driven, really driven by curiosity. So we bought in two people who could actually work through it with us. The Magistrates Court is the first level, the entry level to the Victorian justice system. This is where 90% of all cases are heard, including traffic infringements and intervention orders to committal hearings for more serious criminal offences, which will then be sent to higher courts. If you've ever attended a court in Victoria, it was probably here. But if you've never been to court, this is the one you probably imagine. The other side of William Street, the grand 19th century building, which is the Supreme Court of Victoria. They were just a, they were a really sort of incredibly creative in what they did. And I think not being lawyers, they were both really driven by their curiosity, both of them. And they actually went looking for the areas of the court and people who were most intriguing or little understood and interesting to them. And then they explored those interviews and those episodes. They actually explored them and went about explaining it in a very non-legal way and non-legal language. And they were really thinking about a non-legal audience themselves. So just getting back to what we were talking about before, this was a really big, in some ways, risky undertaking for your team in the Supreme Court. Were you ever scared that uh, Greg or Evan or really anyone else was going to make a mistake and wreck this? To be quite frank, if anyone was going to wreck it, it was going to be me. I, I was going to be the chief wrecker of it because, you know, I'm actually effectively, I'm in charge of making sure that we don't put anything out there that's going to cause an absolute sort of a, a problem for anyone. So I, I had one of the most risk-averse lenses of anyone. And there were, I lost sleep over this podcast I remember uh, in the couple of days before episode one launched and I started to have sort of mini panic attacks about it thinking have we gone too far I think that it was it was just when when you sort of looked at each episode and you worked through each script and we looked at each sentence sentence by sentence line by line word by word sometimes it just made sense there were certainly areas that were they weren't risky as such there were certainly areas that hadn't been canvassed before information that was new, things that were hard to hear, things that were tough, things that were actually a little bit traumatic. But there was no reason for those things not to be out there in the public domain because it goes back to our purpose was how do we describe the work of the court a bit better than we do? And the truth is not always easy. And it, it does, we don't want to scare anyone or offend anyone. We don't want to traumatise anyone. But the work of, and not everyone might like it, and maybe people don't agree with it, but we just wanted more people to have access to it. And, and as a court, it was an unusual step to go down the path of um, a podcast. But for those who've listened to it, if you listen through it, there, there, there are parts of it that are not risky at all, that are just absolutely gorgeous. Um, if I can share a couple of those stories, I mean, one of my favourite episodes has always been People of the Court. And that's where Evan Martin, who'd never set foot in a court before, we hired someone who had never even been in a court before because I didn't want to bring a bias to it. I didn't want to bring someone who could just 
step into the establishment, he was driven by his curiosity and he he just interviewed people that we knew uh, and we directed into some of them and the interviews were really gentle and they were really lovely. Sometimes it feels like you can hear your own thoughts while walking through the Supreme Court corridors. It's not rare that you can get from one end of the building to the other without seeing or hearing a single other person. But after spending some time here, it dawns on you just what goes into each and every case. Hundreds of people work here every day. Another really favourite moment of mine is a year before the podcast even launched, I'd watched one of our most senior judges, Justice Kay, thank a jury. I was in court for it and I was so moved by it, just watching his honour speak to these 12 people and he was leaning into them and they were leaning into him and In that moment, there was this kind of extraordinary moment in the court where the jury and the judge were just looking at each other and he was thanking them for their service. And I had goosebumps and I went and saw his honour later and I said that was extraordinary. And I thought in my mind, gosh, we must do something about juries in the podcast. And a year later, I emailed him and got hold of him and said, would you mind if we use that excerpt? Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for all you have done, and I will shortly discharge you from your further service as jurors in the matter. But firstly, I want to thank you for all you have done in the case and your service to the court. It's interesting of my last jury, but every jury I have I think is better than every one I've had before, and I say the same to you. I'm just amazed how we can bring together 12 members of the community who can go about their work in the way each and every one of you have done so. So again, that's not risky. That was just actually just gentle storytelling. That was something that if you want to have the work, if you want to sort of talk about the work of the court, my goodness, so like I was a former court reporter when I was younger and I always used to think people should sit in court seven of magistrates court for a day and then they'll see life. Like to go and watch the non-reported parts of the trial is quite a humbling experience. You're listening to Storycraft, a podcast about the art and science of storytelling. On this episode, a conversation about award-winning podcast Gertie's Law with Supreme Court Communications and Engagement Director Sarah Dolan. If you like Storycraft, check out The Story, a new digital publication that dives headfirst into the world of stories, exploring their power and mechanics. Head to the-story.media or go to the link in the show notes to check out pieces by some of Australia's leading storytellers, including Clementine Ford on the joy and challenges of writing non-fiction and Dorian Linsky on the British island that used the power of story to drive some of the world's highest COVID vaccination rates. The story is for anyone who tells stories, loves stories, or is just curious about how and why they work. So one of the really striking things about Gertie's Law is the use of sound and soundscapes in the podcast. Talk about the role of sound in telling the Supreme Court story. They were just phenomenal. That soundscaping was really beautiful. Greg and Evan both had a great sense for that. I think it was Evan who said to me that he felt that the court herself had become a character in the podcast and things are echoey 
and you're kind of hearing a lot of clunking and, and it's, it's really quite important. But I suppose it was important for the court because the court is steeped in history. And so, you know, there is an entire episode, I think, on the history and the architecture. You know, whether you're going to get that in sort of a, a modern building is not the same, but I think sound is important. We had music. We had an original score. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. And they shall be heard. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. Nothing but the truth. We did a few things that I think if you were just starting out in a podcast, you might not be able to do. I have wondered if we didn't have the court and we didn't have that soundscaping, how might it have gone? I don't think it would have been as interesting. I do think for those out there that you can have the some of those extra trappings, but it really is the stories. We could have had all of those things and we still could have had a bad podcast. And I think it would have been seen to be a bad podcast. I think there's a sophistication to the audience of podcast listeners. They've got, they're taking the time to listen, they're thoughtful, they want to know. They're actually generous. They're giving you their time. It's quite remarkable. They're not after grabs. And if we'd had a beautiful sounding podcast that was slick and it was just a bit, I don't know, it was just boring, I think the listeners would have just tuned out. So I do think that if you've got a great story to tell and you can tell it in a compelling way, start there. So I'd like to change gears for a moment and talk about your background. You've been a tabloid reporter. You've been a senior person at Who Weekly. You know, there's a, there's a populist bent to your career before you went into government communications. Did that background influence how you approached Gertie's Law? Oh, I think it was very influential. I mean, my background is there for everyone to see. I'm extremely transparent about what I do. I'm so proud of everywhere I've worked. I've learned so much across the many places I've worked. And everywhere I've worked, I have always, always talked about storytelling. Even when I was at debt, at, that's the Department of Education Training, which you'd think you wouldn't be able to in an executive position. If you, if you lose sight of it, you're losing sight of why you even have these jobs and this role. For me, particularly with that background, these are audiences I'm familiar with. I mean, we didn't make Gertie's Law to let lawyers know or barristers and solicitors know about the court. They already know about it. We, you know, in, in our hearts, what we wanted to do was actually reach people who were listening to the radio and 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 reading tabloid newspapers. And I don't know if we've actually reached them, to be honest, who who can we, you know, you never really know. You'd be surprised how many people like simple, straight-up language. You know, you don't need to sort of get yourself tied into knots, sort of with sentences that never end and, and words that take five minutes to pronounce. Like people just like simple stories. They can be complex and they can be nuanced and they can be still incredibly, incredibly interesting. I think that's what Gertie's Law did. I mean, honestly, I thought that, no, like this is just going to, this, this just won't go anywhere. And nor were we setting out for it to sort of, you know, break records. But that's nice. The judges are lovely and it's really, it's been really great to sort of have also them out there speaking about their role and what they do as well in, in, in quite sort of simple terms. If Gertie's Law had happened when you were a court reporter at the Herald Sun, what would you have thought of it? If I'd listened to Gertie at the Herald Sun, I would have loved it. I, I guess I asked that because I, I, I thought maybe there was a chance that there might be a kind of a demarcation issue here. Like 
would, wouldn't couldn't it be the case that if you're a, you know a, a Melbourne newspaper or a other media that you say, well, it's not the it's not the court's job to do this. It's our job to do this. The court should have just given us access to this kind of thing and let us tell this story. So, the fact that the court now has the capacity to tell this story itself, did did that does that ruffle any feathers? Well, no, because the court reporters don't aren't out there telling the story of the court. They're out there covering court matters themselves, and they they play an incredibly important role. So. Our Gertie's law actually doesn't talk about any cases and they're the things that court reporters report on. So we didn't have a podcast where we actually covered our own matters. That would be demarcation. And even if it was, I don't think it's a terrible thing. I think that anyone can go out there and cover anything. No, no, we just told our story. Um, but some of them liked it, like they're in a couple of the episodes as well. Yeah, no, there were no issues there. And I think any organisation, institution should be able to go out there and tell its own story. The other thing is that if, if we asked, uh, journalists would tell a different story. This was just an opportunity for the court to tell its own story. So we're getting near to the end here. But before we go, I just wanted to ask you, you know, after going through this complicated, somewhat risky, but also fun, creative process of making a podcast for the Supreme Court, what are the main pieces of advice you'd give to others who are thinking about making a podcast about their organisation or industry? My top piece of advice is that they have to go away and ask themselves what is the reason they're making a podcast? What's their story? What are they trying to say? You can make a podcast and just dream up every episode one after the other, but what is the purpose of it? Who do you who ask yourself who do you want to listen to this and what do you want those people to do? Um, or how do you want them to change? If they were asked, go make a podcast, I was thinking about this. I'm like, I think organisations, I'm not really talking about the court here, I'm just saying generally, it's really hard for institutions and organisations to get a bit lost in themselves at times. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of about us and there's a lot of, you know, the has to by its very necessity to be a lot of corporate governance kind of speak. But there was always one day a purpose to that organisation or that institution. And I think podcasting can actually help rediscover the purpose um, you know, what you can actually go and speak to someone and ask them, you know, what's it like to work here or what drives you as an individual? Why do you go and do X? And you can actually bring to life what might be quite mundane work. They really do need to be organized. I do think that that, you know, we did it with sticky notes on a whiteboard, but you wouldn't want to just grab yourself a handheld microphone and just start recording. You really do need to think, is that the way you'd write a media release? Or is that the way you'd write a speech? Or is that the way you'd write an internal email for one of your bosses? No, you'd actually think it out quite carefully, have a real sense of where it's going to go. And then you actually go and do that. I think that it's really important with a podcast to step away from the lines, like get every media release that's ever been written in your organisation and then ignore them. Do the opposite of that. Or if you're really stuck to it, get someone to speak it. They, 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 if you have a line for your organisation, you can bet your bottom dollar that someone actually will say it better in conversation. So let's just go back to where we were at the start of this conversation with the Chief Justice. When she looks back on this and she listens to the podcast, does she feel like you hit your KPIs? <laughs> well, well, she's probably happy I made a podcast or what I said about making, you know, getting people in to help me make a podcast and I was able to go back and go tick on that. Yes, I do. I do. And, you know, look, the Chief Justice just wants us to keep exploring, you know, within limits and I think within reason what, what we might do and what we can do and to be able to have 
some of those stories and information out into the public about things that she and the judges all knew but no one else knew and to have it out there in a way that we were comfortable with and that people were comfortable with, I mean, that's all really we can ask for. People have got stories in them. They've got stories in the most unlikely of places. And if the Supreme Court can do it and anyone can do it and they should do it, And even if they think their story has been told a thousand times, then tell it a little bit differently. It might be, for us, we had a hundred, yeah, I think the court's 170 years old and everyone thinks they know about the court and yet we were able to maybe put something else out there. So for those out there who are working in maybe even public sector organisations that everyone thinks they know, well, what's that bit maybe they don't know or revisit that purpose or see if you can find a way to, to tell that story in a different way. It's a lot of fun and we're very lucky to have been able to do it. That was Sarah Dolan, Communications and Engagement Director at the Supreme Court of Victoria and one of the leading hands in the wildly successful podcast, Gertie's Law. You can find the podcast at the court's website, supremecourt.vic.gov.au forward slash podcast, or on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. This is episode two of our six-part season of StoryCraft. While you're tracking down Gertie's Law, why not subscribe to us? And we'd love it if you could spread the word about StoryCraft. Tell your friends, colleagues, and rate and review us on iTunes. Doing this helps more people find the show. StoryCraft is produced by Dashiell Lawrence of Retrospect and presented by me, Ben Hart. Thanks for listening.